Football is back, and so is the Ringer NFL show. Coming at you five days a week with wall-to-wall coverage from recapping the Sunday games, giving a player perspective, deep dives, and previewing the coming slate. Check out the Ringer NFL show on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. It's the Ringer NBA show presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs on FanDuel. Find out what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like three-minute markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available. And listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 years and older. 18 and older in D.C. and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is supported by State Farm. Man, I remember when I first got into a car accident, it was pure frustration because I did not have State Farm. And now that I do have State Farm, it is an exclamation of pure joy. But the only words that you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. I can confirm to you that basketball indeed is very good, and it's a chilly but a pleasant day to talk about it. My name is Jay Kyle Mann, and welcome to Upside High, the show where we zoom in on the youth movement in the NBA, in the NBA draft, all the things that come before that. And I'm joined, per usual, by my co-host, the Lothario of the Lone State, Mr. Jonathan Sharks. Sharks, how are you doing, buddy? I like that. Kyle, you've always got good vocab, so I appreciate it. (laughs) Basketball is really good. I'm still recovering from my Cowboys losing in the playoffs. So hate football. I'm not like an NFL person. I kind of like observed your all's misery from afar, which was pretty amusing for me. I mean, like just like the ubiquitousness of it across social media was just, or are you, are you like a lifetime? Were you like one of those like Emmett Smith, Troy Aikman? Did you cut your teeth on those Cowboys teams or do you go that far back? For sure. I mean, I'm from Dallas, so I'll always support the Cowboys, but I absolutely hate the team. And it's just a weird thing. <laughs> they make you miserable, huh? For but sure. You're, you're obviously like a diehard Longhorns guy, too. So that's that's your... But basketball is your, your first love, right? Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Well, today we're going to be talking about a team and uh, a player, a couple players that got swapped. So uh, the the first thing that we're going to hit on is Cam Reddish, and then we're going to talk more about the Grizzlies and their stars and things like that. But I want to talk about this Reddish trade. Um, I feel like it raised eyebrows more than this type of trade really. I don't know. I guess anytime like a high, two lo- high lottery picks get swapped for each other, at first I, I kind of observed the reaction of Knicks fans was initially was elation. Was that kind of what, what was your observation of the way this trade went down just off the, off, did you, who did you think won just at a glance from, from a start? I don't think like the winning 
framework is the right way to look at a trade like this, which we can get into. I, I just think that sometimes is kind of limiting, right? I think ultimately Reddish was not going to work in Atlanta, so they had to trade him. And whether or not he works somewhere else is almost immaterial to them. So I don't think they could necessarily win the trade, but they couldn't win having him around either. I think it's probably, wor- first off, like, let's talk about Cam Reddish a bit and why he's probably a bigger deal in a lot of basketball circles than maybe his NBA production might initially suggest. Well, uh, he has been, first of all, I would want to say too that like, I mean, the Knicks, I think the Knicks initially felt like they got a, like, it was a big time coup for them, I think, because they felt like they got rid of a guy that wasn't playing for a guy that is playing. Um, But like Reddish, I think this ties into what you're talking about here is that Reddish for a long time, and, and we discussed some of this in like the ringer slack, and we were t- and there was talk of there's always talk about Cam Reddish on Twitter and ever, all over the place. He has this this like something something about his game, about the way he looks, about the way he's built, about his gait that like really allures people uh, into his like upside as a player. And yet, I, you know, and going into that college season, the 2018-19 season with with Zion and RJ Barrett, uh, or actually was that, or is that 17, 18? I think it was 18, 19 now, but, um, there was some thought that he was going to be like a top three pick that he was going to be like a really, truly kind of special player. And some of his warts came out during that college season. Some of the, where did he actually end up going? I don't have that in front of me. He wasn't three, was he? Yeah. Okay. So they're both two players picked at 10 swap for each other. What do you think it is about him that is so alluring? Because it's definitely there. Um, what it is, is it about Cam Reddish that it's going to give people, keep them like taking chances on him? I love how you're acting like it's so mysterious, like his feminine allure. It's really simple. He's freaking <laughs> huge. He's six foot eight, 220. So right there, that's one of the bigger wings in the league. He moves really, really well for a guy his size. I think that's more what it is. Not more, less so the size. I think it's the second thing you said. Well, it's it's a combination of size and speed. And then he's got a good looking jump shot. And then he was the exact same size at 18. And as usual, you did not really give the background. So I'll give it for the people. So the background is Cam Reddish was seen as a top player in his high school class for a long time because he was so big. He was such a good shooter and he was so fluid. Everyone said, this guy's a future star. Everyone knew who he was at like 15 years old. And what happened was he commits to Duke first and he's thinking, I'm going to be the next Jason Tatum, Jabari Parker, Brandon Ingram, big star Duke wing comes a top two pick. And then RJ Barrett and then Zion commit to Duke as well. And when that happens, it pushes Cam all the way down the pecking order to number three. And so then Duke in that one year at Duke, Cam's playing off RJ and Zion, not really doing very much, very inconsistent, but then he has this flashes. It's like, man, he's so big. That jump shot looks so good. What happens when he puts it all together? Maybe in the NBA, it'll be the same. He'll get a bigger role and then he'll really show his like star potential. Everyone's always thought he's had. And then he gets to the NBA and basically the same thing happens again where he's playing off Trey Young. He's behind DeAndre Hunter, who the Hawks drafted in the same draft at number four. And he's never really getting that lead role. And he's always kind of tantalizing. And that's kind of where he still is like four years later is 
people see the talent and they're waiting for the production to come around. Yeah, it's it's interesting to go and read if you read like talent evaluators from the time you read. I think people were just seeing this upside of, like you said, big wing fluid. They expect him to kind of put it together. I kind of feel like he's maybe playing in the wrong era a little bit for like his body type. Like he's he strikes me as somebody that if he had played like in the 2000s, like in the early 2000s, he probably would have it would have been fine in a time when basketball was a little bit different. But it's interesting that he and we talked about Kevin Knox being traded for him. Honestly, it's funny that like Zaire, Kevin Knox and Reddish, all three are like these big wings. Zaire's less skilled than Reddish, but it's it's interesting that they all kind of have similar challenges. They're very skinny. They're very tall, but like the creating for themselves off the bounce, like and then expanding to anything beyond scoring for themselves has been like a challenge. Um, Reddish, though. I think that it's uh, we had we had some work done for us like on the ringer about like who who what really are the Knicks getting in this situation? To me, I think that they're getting a more aggressive and more like hyper confident version of what Kevin Knox was hypothetically. You know, like he's he really is going to jump in there, and I know that like Knox has struggled with like confidence issues forever. I, I don't know whether or not he's going to be able to like flesh out with Atlanta, or if they're even planning on keeping him. They may they may not be. Um, do you expect the Knicks to get anything serious? Do you expect him to address their concerns at all in the short term, or the or the relatively short term? I would say to double back. I wouldn't frame it as they're trading reddish for Knox. They're trading reddish for a future draft pick. Mm-hmm. And Knox is the best salary balancer. I don't necessarily think they're really looking at Knox as a potential piece for them in Atlanta. And I think you're right. They all went... It is interesting. Reddish, Knox, and Zaire Williams, who the Grizz took at number 10 this year's draft, all went at number 10. Or I think Knox number 9, actually. But the reason that's going on is because at a certain point in the lottery, all the surefire picks are gone. And at the, in the same spot in all three drafts, the teams are like, you know what? This is a very tall, athletic wing with a good jump shot. F it. Let's just take him now. At some point, the talent, let's just gamble on the talent and see what happens. And that's what all three teams have done. It'll be really interesting to see what happens with Cam in New York. Because my, my big thing with Cam is... So the story is that Cam went in, uh, Travis Schlenk, the Hawks GM, talked about this to the media after the trade. He said, before the start of last se- this season, Reddish said, I'd like a bigger role. And if I can't get one here, I would like to be traded. And then Schlenk said, okay. And he, he immediately began trying to see, can I get a first round pick back for Reddish? And this gets back into what I was saying about I don't think the Hawks could win this trade because what happened was the Hawks have drafted this very talented young player who has a very high opinion of himself and who wants a bigger role. The problem is he's not earned one. And I think that is the Cam Reddish problem right now because if you're going to ask for a bigger, bigger role, you have to succeed in the role you're in now. Otherwise, it just doesn't make sense. In his three years in Atlanta, Cam has never been a positive player. They've always been better with him off the floor than on the floor. And he's never been an efficient player. Where do you think he's hurting them, though? Where do you think that the inefficiencies are coming from? Because I think that's the crux of the issue here. What's going on is he's taking a lot of shots and not making them. And he's gambling on defense constantly. It's pretty Mm -hmm. basic stuff. Mm -hmm. And it's funny, right? You were saying in this era, maybe, but ultimately, 
Like the problem with Cam Reddish is like, it's so simple, it's almost stupid. Like he takes a lot of shots and doesn't make them very efficient, doesn't make a lot of them. And he mm-hmm. gambles on defense constantly and doesn't justify his gambles. So then he goes into the Hawks GM's office and says, I want a bigger role. And he's, Schlenk is like, well, why? I'm going to take away shots from Bogdanovich or Trey Young or Kevin Herter. These are proven players who are better than you now. And, and more dynamic. Yeah, I'm going to give them a smaller role so you can, because you think you're a top player, we'll prove it on the court. And I think where I look at with Cam, I would say the reverse. We're talking about these guys in the late lottery. What Cam should be thinking of is Miles Bridges. And Miles Bridges, he's a guy who was drafted number 12 a year before Cam. Now he's in his fourth year. He might be an all-star this year. And you look at his progression, he always succeeded in a smaller role. So the Hornets kept giving him a bigger and bigger role every year. They said, you are succeeding. We do believe in you. We're going to expand your role. Whereas Cam, it's more, we know you have talent, so we'll give you a chance to play, but you're not really justifying getting a bigger role, even though you want one. It's an interesting thing. And some of this is kind of like reading into who these people are just as, as people. Like what, what is ultimately... Would it even have been the best thing for Schlink to give Reddish that much, give him that opportunity without proving it like you talked about? So it's like there's maybe a maturation thing going on and maybe he's on this path. You said something interesting to me over text just about, um, you know, he's one of those like two or three teams from now type guys. And he's in his early 20s still. He Is he, what is he, 21, 22, um, 22? He's... It might take him a while to realize that. Some, but I, I personally have more confidence in players who demonstrate what you were talking about. And that's something that comes up over and over again, I feel like, in our draft discussions is when we look at... And I think it ties into the the team that we're getting ready to talk about and the way that they evaluate. I'm really like pointing my notebook like a, like a head coach right now. But <laughs> I'm going to roll it up like Joe B. Uh, I, I think... Uh, I think it might take a little while for Reddish. I don't know that like heading to I don't know that heading to New York, I don't know that he's going to uh, alleviate uh, alleviate like the issues and the concerns that they have in the short term. I could be totally wrong about that. One thing I will say about Reddish is he's a big game player. We've seen him show up. I kind of half expected him to get traded during the offseason. I thought somebody might come after the flashes that he showed in Atlanta, but you know, who knows what the intel is out there on him. I in the short term though, I I'm Maybe he'll give something to New York, but I'm not confident that it's going to be. What, what do you What do you make about the thing too? About there, there have been whispers about RJ and Zion and and Reddish, sort of the chemistry stuff there. Do you think that the the RJ Reddish reunion is going to fl- like blossom into something productive for them for the Knicks? Maybe I I think it's a little too easy to say. Oh, they were all college teammates. Everyone has this idea. Oh, they all played college together. They're best friends, and they want to reconnect and. Da 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 da, and that happens sometimes, like with John Wall and Demarcus Cousins, right? Because those guys' games fit together. I think Cam Reddish looks at his time at Duke and says, "Man, I was really held back. I couldn't show what I did." I don't know if there's necessarily a ton of positive feelings about that, and I think he's about to walk in that same situation in New York. What we are just talking about—it's hard in the NBA to get a big role because every team is full of guys who want, you know, minutes and shots. So he's going to go to New York. They've already got, they're starting Alec Burks, Evan Fournier, RJ Barrett, Julius Randle. Those are all kind of high usage players. Off the bench, you've got Emmanuel Quickly, high usage player. 
You've got Kemba Walker floating around trying to get back, establish himself in the league, high usage player. And really, Reddish is going to have to compete with uh, Quentin Grimes just for minutes in that 3 and D role. I think it's going to be the same thing. It's kind of like... We're circling to the same problems that he had in Atlanta. You're going to have to prove it through a small role efficiency. Exactly. Before we move on to talk about the Memphis Grizzlies, one of the most exciting and promising young teams in the NBA, we are going to take a break. This episode is supported by State Farm. Man, I remember when I first got into a car accident, it was pure frustration because I did not have State Farm. And now that I do have State Farm, it is an exclamation of pure joy. But the only words that you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. This episode is brought to you by Arby's. It's 3 p.m. and dinner is still hours to come. Maybe lunch didn't quite hit the spot. That's where the new two-for-five-dollar chicken wraps from Arby's come in. Available in ranch, barbecue, and honey mustard. They're perfect for the afternoon snack attack or as an add-on to your meal. Arby's two-for-five-dollar chicken wraps are here for a limited time at participating locations. Visit an Arby's near you or order ahead on the Arby's app. This episode is brought to you by Visible Wireless. Want a wireless provider that always brings its A-game? Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon as low as $25 a month every month, taxes and fees included. And as if that wasn't already a huge win, you could use promo code RINGER20 to receive $20 off your first month just for listening to us talk about basketball. Not bad, right? You don't need more than one line of wireless to save. Just switch to Visible at Visible.com and use promo code RINGER20. For data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. The Visible monthly rate is $25 per month. All right, so the Memphis Grizzlies uh, are on a tear right now. Uh, They have been on a tear for the past little bit. Uh, They are 19-5 and since December 1st. Uh, I went through, you know, you, we're not totally sure who the playoff teams are, but 15 of those are against, you know, perceived playoff teams. Uh, third in the West behind Golden State and Phoenix. Um, what in the world is clicking for Memphis right now? I mean, everything, right? They're probably <laughs> the biggest story in the NBA, I would think. And we figured we are a young players podcast. Pretty much all their success is powered by young players. So let's Just talk one, about one it. swoop. We'll be, their whole team, we they're relevant to us. Yeah, we'll be the fiftieth podcast to talk about the Grizzlies. Hopefully, we can put our own unique spin on it. But I mean, yeah, they've been dominant. It's been it's been interesting because they've had Jaw in one. Then Jaw went out for a while. They still kept winning. They're just winning almost regardless of who's out there. It's pretty incredible. What did you think about the conversations that I, I know we briefly touched on it? I know, I know how I feel about this, but like, what did what did you think about the Ja Morant? They played better with ja, without Ja for that brief time. What did you make of that conversation? I think the important point to make is sometimes when a team elevates like this, we want to give all the success credit one player because we're such a star driven league. So it's easy to look at because I've always said the the most relevant stats it always comes back to points per game and wins and losses. So when you score a lot of points on a team that wins a lot of games, you get all the credit for it. 
And I don't necessarily think it means all that much that they won without Jaw. They were, so they were 10 and two without him. What it tells you is it's not just Jaw. This is a team-wide rise. And I think if you're a Memphis fan, that's the most encouraging part is that it isn't just one player. It's three and four and five young players all rolling together at the same time. That's a nice segue to something that's interesting about this Memphis group. Now, we can go down the like itemized player-by-player development discussions, and I want to do that quickly, but um, something about their culture that you and I talked about that was interesting and relevant, kind of jutting off of the the Cam Reddish thing uh, that's relevant, is how they go about, you know, Memphis is a team that over the past few years has had some picks. They've used the picks pretty pretty phenomenally. I think we can agree on that. And what do you, what was it you you texted me the other day about how they choose their personnel? What do what do you think just from afar? I don't have any. I'm we're speculating about speculating about this. I don't know anything specific. What is it about they pick players? Do you think that's showing up in the product this soon? That's already working this soon. Is there anything that jumps out to you? I think when you look at the players they draft. And I really do think sometimes we make things more complicated than they actually are. And what Memphis does really well is there's this, there's you know there's obviously this very long conversation that goes back to like I don't know twenty years now. I test for stats, analytics for scouts, blah 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 blah. What Memphis does is they say if you are a really good player you should leave some kind of statistical impact on the game at the college level. It might not be the statistics that necessarily points, rebounds, steals, assists, but there should be some inkling on the court that you're impacting the game. And they're not just going to draft the guy based on his stats, but they're going to use stats to help themselves find players. So not to get too far down into a rabbit hole, but you look at guys like Brandon Clark, DeAnthony Melton, Desmond Bain. These were all late first-round picks, early second-round picks. They were all advanced stats darlings in college. And what they all had in common was they lacked the ideal physical dimensions that teams look for. Brandon Clark is six foot eight, really more of a center. DeAnthony Melton's six foot two, more of a shooting guard. Like these don't necessarily fit your prototypical dimensions. Desmond, Desmond Bain, Bain, six foot four, very short arms. So those guys lack the statistical things teams look for. What Memphis says, not statistical, they like the physical traits. Memphis said, hey, yes, they might lack certain things, but they also have certain advantages that they have in the, on the court. Clark, phenomenal athlete. Desmond Bain, phenomenal shooter. The Anthony Melton, really, really smart player. And that allows them to have an impact on the game more than their physical tools might suggest. So we're just going to grab them. And I think what makes Memphis so interesting is you go up and down their roster, they have like 13 good players, 14 mm-hmm. good players. It's that depth. When guys go out, they just keep rolling. And then there's guys like John Conchar. He was an advanced stats darling. He's a six foot five post player from where UE. Fort Wayne or something. Purdue, I can't remember Fort Wayne. Four-year yeah. player from Purdue, Fort Wayne. Yeah. And he, he basically, if there was a guy who had crazy advanced stats numbers in college, but NBA scouts did, like wrote him off, he probably wound up in Memphis. Yeah, I think I think that's very true. Now they do have a couple freaks. I mean, Darren Jackson Jr. was, I mean, yeah, six six eleven with a seven foot six wingspan, ten inch hands, ten by ten inch hands. 
I mean, he's just a physical freak. I want to talk more about him. But I think something else that I've noticed, too, is that there is a, a sort of commonality between these players and their ability to create disruption defensively. Now, they're all, like, smart. I do think that they have a collection of, like, pretty smart players, in my opinion. But um, they have a lot of guys who can create disruption in the in the form of, like, live ball turnovers. And I, we can see that because... Uh, this is the their number two in the league in deflections first and fast break points. Um, and the other thing, too, is that a lot of these players, stylistically, I've noticed that Memphis really embraces the middle game. They not just pull up jumpers, but they they embrace the floater game. No team is shooting as many floaters as they do. I mean, Brandon Clark is incredible at it. John Morant's incredible at it. Um, they just they have a lot of guys who like to take uh, that shot, but the defense is key. Hold go, on, Kyle. Go, I yeah. think I think the floater thing is important because here's why the floater thing is important because Memphis lives at the intersection of guys who impact the game efficiently without ideal physical tools, and that intersection exists. A lot of those guys use floaters because the floater allows you to play bigger than what you are. So I don't think they necessarily target guys who use floaters a lot, but if you use a floater, if you're not someone with ideal physical tools, you should probably have a floater in your game. And that's, that's why like Brandon Clark is a good example of the floater and how powerful it can be for an undersized big man. Yeah, and because we the mid-range discussion is really kind of muddled with people being really hung up on the old school mentality and then there's like this new wave of like, oh, hey, it is useful. I feel like the people who are really paying attention have noticed that, but like... Brandon Clark doesn't need to even work on a mid-range pull-up straight-up jumper. And I've made this point before. It's really hilarious how cyclical it is because literally in the beginning of basketball, that's the way people shot. It was like it doesn't physically make sense to like plant our feet and jump high and try to shoot a jump shot. Run and like use the energy. Anyway, if you watch the Grizzlies, they in the top 25 like players taking floaters per 100 possessions. I texted you that I think it's like they have like four or five guys. Tyus Jones is also really good at shooting that. The defensive thing, though, I think is key here. Um, and this team has just been wrecking people. They're, I, I told you that uh, they're they're the most efficient team in the league. Uh, they if you, they allow the fewest points per chance in switching ball screens in the league. Why do you think they're able to do that? That's what I, that was what be, would be my question for you. Well, I guess I have to talk about their coach really quickly. Because yeah. he is an old high school teammate of mine. Not that coaches <laughs> have that much impact, but shout out my guy Taylor Jenkins. Was Jenkins yeah, he good? Was, he was a very smart player. He wasn't one of the stars. His job was okay. to set up the stars. Okay, okay. What position did he play? Is he a he big? Was a power, he was a power forward, yeah. Okay, kind of okay. like a, he was a high post power forward. He would like pass out of the high post, shoot 15 oh. foot jumpers. We ran kind of a motion offense. Oh, okay, okay. Like hitting cutters, things like that? Yeah, like, yeah. Imagine a really small Steven Adams. That was kind of Taylor's role on that team. Who is really relevant to this team, I think, because they're so athletic. Uh, Something interesting about this team is that I I put this down that uh, they are... 4-11 Four and eleven this season. Whenever they shoot over forty percent for from three, so this is a team that like doesn't rely on like uh, you know getting hot to beat you. Like they beat you in this like methodical wear you down, create deflections, get shots in the middle. Um, but I want to talk about their key players. Let's we might as well move on to that. I think so. Jaron Jackson Jr. talking about like the switchability. Um, defensively, he hasn't shot the ball as well this year. He's been a little bit down in, in his efficiency on that front. Um, 
He, what is it about him that makes him such a, we talked about the physical tools. That's one thing. There are a lot of guys out there with physical tools. Jaron Jackson is, um, he's just one of the most, he had some like fouling issues early on in his career. He's gotten a little bit about that, better about that per 36 this year. Um, what is it about Jaron Jackson and how does he impact their, how they play and to your eyes defensively? Well, I mean, so we were talking about like, like you mentioned, like Memphis has gotten a really good job of finding value late in the draft, but ultimately they do have two top four picks in their team and they have jaw, they have Jaron Jackson. So I guess we're doing Jackson first. I think for him, he had a lost year development last year because he tore his meniscus in the bubble. He didn't come back until I think the last month of regular season and he clearly wasn't himself. And so this is year four for him, but really it's year three because he just lost a year. And even now, they're trying to expand his role on offense, give him more freedom. And I think to go back a little bit, one thing I think looks really, really smart for them right now is they made a trade over the summer during the draft where they went from 17 to 10 and they flipped centers and they flipped Jonas Valanciunas for Steven Adams. And at the time, I remember thinking, okay, Valanciunas, he was a big part of their team last year, a very dominant low post scorer, added a jump shot. I said, okay, they're trying to like stack future picks and flipping for a worse player now because they're thinking long. But I think what was actually happening is they said, no, Valanciunas, he's a high possession, high usage player. And we want to emphasize our younger players. We've got to get him out of here. Because Jaron Jackson's only going to be so valuable next to a high usage, low post scoring big man. Because Jonas is going to demand the ball on the block. And he is going to, Jaron has to play off him. And it's kind of like going back to the whole Cam Reddish thing. You can't just, okay, I'm going to elevate Jaron over Jonas. Because Jonas had more skins on the wall than Jaron. So that would have been very tricky. What they had to do was trade Jonas to create a bigger role for Jaron. And so what they really did is it was addition by subtraction and they got themselves a free top 10 pick for doing it. That's just really smart management. And I think Adams has been a much better fit for Jaron because Adams doesn't take a lot of shots, is a really good passer. So he sets up Jaron a lot as opposed to Jaron playing off Jonas. So that all that to say, Jaron's being put in a better position this season and what made him so interesting in the draft, what makes it interesting now, is he's six foot eleven. He can shoot and move like a guard. And the number that's really crazy is when they play Jaron at the five and Brandon Clark at the four. That they're plus seventeen when the in those lineups because they're just to kick it back on what you're saying. They're so switchable. They're so fast. They spread the floor so well. It's just very, very hard to match up with them. It's hard to penalize them too. Like for some teams, if you put their bigs out, that your bigs out there that have one advantage, but maybe they give something else up, like you can't really do that easily with the Grizzlies because they'll put they'll go out there and put um, Jackson or Clark on the player that they know that you want to switch with. Like they'll they'll like move their pieces and they can do that fluidly. Like they're not like okay, Jaron has to guard the five. Jaron has to guard this guy. Like yesterday was a good example. Yesterday the Memphis, the Grizzlies beat a pretty you know shorthanded Bulls team, um, and I was noticing just that like 
Jackson was switching on to, to DeRozan multiple times and like noticeably bothered him throughout the game. Like he can really, really move super well. We talked about like the bigs in the past few years who have had like defensive impact. It's just nice to see this come around because I think Jackson was probably the last defensive guy that kind of like moved the needle quite like Evan Mobley did. I feel like he's sort of, um, he's a, he's a little more powerfully built though. I don't know if he's wingspan wise. I don't know that he would reach as as far with, with his height as, as Mobley does, but something else that I've noticed is, um, he's attacking off the dribble better this year. Like he's getting to the rim, uses his left really well. He, his drives per 100 are, have literally doubled since last year. So he's, he's getting to the rim more, finishing more and more blow buys per game. Um, Shooting is down, though. What What do you think? Do you think it matters, though? What What do you make of this? Like their identity as a team. Like, as does the shooting thing matter? What are they going to run into as a team? Do you think potentially in the playoffs in the way in the terms of the way this team works? Well, I mean, I think it's very connected. You're talking about his drives are up and his shooting is down because he's taking harder shots. They're mm-hmm. trying to grow him as a player, and I look at Jaron. What I notice when he drives is he's very rarely driving to pass. Once he decides, I'm going to shoot, like he's going to shoot. And like we, the defenses are smart. They know if you're going to shoot, they can make your life harder. Jaron is still so young. What he'll have, what the next step for him is, okay, actually it's easier to score when I look to pass sometimes because the defense will play off you a little more. Whereas right now he kind of puts his head down and tries to force his own offense. It's like he's trying to, get back that year he lost in one setting. I'm like, I got to get myself to like DeAndre Aiden's level. I got to get these shots up. And I think Jaron has a ton of talent. He's still scratching the surface. And I think that's where they'll ultimately, that'll be where the playoffs come into them, come into what that becomes very important is, is Jaron ready for this? Because it, to me, it feels like Jaws already set and they've got to raise Jaron up. So we should probably talk about Jossum too. Yeah, I think that that's a great segue. So Ja Morant, uh, he, I, I had, I've been kind of thinking back about some of the things I thought about Jaw coming out of the draft. I really wondered about him. He's been scoring a little more this year. I know Brooks has kind of been in and out of the line. They've had lineup weirdness like everybody. Um, ja Morant, in terms of the all-star discussion, in or out, what do you think? I mean, that's not even a question. Is it? Like, he's obviously in. It's sometimes I feel like with Ja, they're trying to like muster up negativity and like who's ever hated on John Morant? I feel like he's the most beloved player in the league. Am I wrong on that? I've noticed lately that I told you, I feel like he has been a little chippier lately. Well, maybe you asked me, but I mean, we both had noticed it. I, he, he has seemed a little, I've been wondering if maybe he's a Reggie Miller type that needs to have like a Mark Jackson in his ear, making him mad because he's been a big part of what has made them play better this, uh, over this, stretch here and this roster is really interesting because I think that it is built to support someone of his because in the playoffs I think that the, it's potential it's possible that they could run you know like their backcourt is pretty small as athletic and efficient at what they do like they could run into some situations where like bigger kind of playmaking scoring three fours could like bother them. Of course, those players bother everybody. And in the West, you know, this year, like Kawhi's out, PG is out. But the other night, like Luca gave them a hard time. Why do you, why do you think that is? Well, Brooks was out. And so Brooks is, that's what makes Brooks such an important part of this team. He's a big bodied wing. He kind of has to take that challenge 
because Bane's undersized, Jaw's a smaller guy. Yeah, and Luca just absolutely demolished them in the fourth quarter. I guess it was last Friday or something. Yeah, I mean, that, and that'll be the question for them is when the game slows down. Because I feel like, especially with Jaw in charge of things, I love when they play fast. Like that to me is what makes them special is their ability to get out and run. And you have Jaws, he's probably one of, he's in that conversation now of fastest guys in the league with the ball in their hands. And he's such a good passer for that speed. And I think that's what makes Jaw different than a lot of the other young point guards in the league. Guys like Luca, guys like Trey. Harden's not a young player, but a lot of times these great passers, they like to control the game, slow it down and make the play in the half court. Whereas I feel like Jaws at his best running and gunning. If you go and look at like some of the most like hyper high-end athletes for his position, he's more skilled than a lot of those guys. Like if you think about the John Walls, I think he has more like vision and ball and like feel than like a John Wall, a Derrick Rose, a yes, I said that. Um, like a, the the deer and foxes. And I think he's become a little bit better shooter than I expected too. Like in the middle of the floor, he like holds his space uh, pretty well for how skinny he is. Um, and his defensive effort obviously is a lot higher. I think you're right about the all-star discussion there. He's honestly just don't really pay a ton of attention to the all-star thing because it's become so it's like the top players in the league is like a totally different conversation than what's actually going to happen. But Morant, um, in year three has, we were talking about the way this team was built. Do you think that there are any, I've heard some kind of commonalities between, I said, this team reminds me of like kind of the 14, 15 warriors in, it's a young, not in terms of like, I don't think that they're going to accomplish what the Warriors did. I don't think so. Maybe they'll prove me wrong, but they remind Maybe me that it's like a Maybe you're the hater team. John needs, Kyle. He needs For your sure. negative energy. I'd love to motivate you, John. Go ahead. Put that on your billboard, however you get it done on your bulletin board. But in terms of a team that is like ahead of schedule, like a team, but it also just that it's a team that the league is has looked at them and thought, well, they don't necessarily fit our ideas of what like a traditional star driven team would do in the past. It's like a cohesive unit that does something really well. Um, you brought up another team though that you, that they remind you of. Yeah. To me, they're less the warriors and they're more the Suns. like with jaws, Nash, not that these are all, and if these are all, these are very rough comparisons, right? For sure. But I looked at them like they're at their best when they have Jaron at the five, they're spreading the court and running. So he's kind of like the Amari type. Jaw is Nash. And I think what's going to be key for them to go back to what we were talking about before is that wing defense, is the Sean Marion type. Do they have enough wing defense from Clark, from Brooks? And I think it's possible ultimately they have to use Jaron in that role as your wing stopper. I think that might be kind of the ceiling for this team. Because you start, you start game planning out if they play the Lakers in a series, who's actually going to guard LeBron James, right? They play the Mavs in a series, who's actually going to guard Luka Doncic? Well, they and have some think, people to throw at him. I mean, yeah, I mean, they've like, they have a bunch of good team defenders too, which is interesting. Like Kyle Anderson, I was telling you this, like he just is so, he it, it's what a luxury to have like a guy who is a, a converted point guard who's six foot nine that you can just plug in there and a shot that just defies everything in my in my basketball DNA like the way he shoots I just can never ever get used to it but um quickly before we uh before we do that um I, I think like the what I'm kind of talking about too with the team thing is like 
those teams all sort of like predated like a paradigm shift in the NBA. I've wondered a little bit if like the rule changes have benefited Memphis's like mentality and style of play because they're real. We've talked about they love to defend. They defend as a team. They're smart. I don't know that we're ever. I don't know how often you're going to see a paradigm shift like you saw in like 14, 15 with the Warriors that like people didn't see and it caused like mass misevaluation of players. I don't know if we're seeing that, but Memphis does seem like they're on to something with how they accrue talent. Quickly, I want to like jump through Desmond Bain, most improved player. What do you think about that? Is there validity to that? Sure. Though I hate giving most improved player to second year players because they're supposed to improve. That pisses some people off when you when you say that. I I felt the same way. Like when Luca made that jump to like MVP level, I was like, well, yeah, he was he was right there. I don't know. That's a funny. That really ir- irritates people when you say that. I say it too, so I know. Most improved to me is kind of a made up award, anyways. Like it's kind of like a low key diss because that means you used to be really bad and now you're good or something. Like I'd never liked that award. I always thought it was reserved for people who were like coming from off the radar a little bit and they and they like jumped onto a path that we didn't expect. Because you know what That's, every player is going to say? I was always this good. I have to get the opportunity. Like 100% they're all going to say that. Yeah. Bain, Bain this year, I think we saw some of the like the playmaking, the, those things are going to come in time. I think we saw those in summer league a little bit. NBA, you know, the regular season is a little bit different. I mean, I, I um, think Kyle, just give him the stats. Bain has had a massive jump statistically this year. Well, yeah, in terms of his counting stats, he's he's way up. I mean, he's gone he went from 9.2 last year to 17.7 this year and he's up to 2.4 assists. As a defender, he's basically up to like close to a plus defender. Um I mean, we we've, we've sung his praises 100 a 100 million times on here. I mean, he's he's a he's a great relocating shooter. He can and if he's going to be able to hit those dribble pull-ups, that's another wrinkle that you can throw in there. Um I think he's a pretty underrated passer, honestly. Um, but I, I think more like creating and getting to the rim, his size, because he's not like a super explosive athlete, physical driver, but doesn't like get up over the rim, things like that. Um, I, I love Bain, but uh, yeah. Anything else you want to add on Bain before we move on? I mean, you look at Desmond Bain, you look at the success he's had as the number 30 pick. And then it's like, man, Boston was at 14 and they drafted Aaron Neesmith for the exact same role. And you said, okay, Memphis got a much better player 16 picks later. That to me says, whoever in the Memphis front offices, I expect they're going to start going around the league. I'd, I'd expect some guys from that front office to get GM jobs pretty soon. Because what they've done top to bottom speaks for itself. Yeah, it's kind of, you see like a ripple effect from like innovative thinking. And, you know, we saw that with with Maury. Maybe, maybe we'll see that from this Memphis you know, how how they're approaching things for sure. Um, just some other like guys that I wanted to just bounce around, talk here a little bit about. You talked about Steven Adams kind of finding his groove again. It is a really nice fit for them. Uh, D'Anthony Melton is a guy that uh, got uh, shipped off from Phoenix, I believe, right? And is a guy who's been in a little bit of a rut uh, recently, um, but is another nice piece for him if he starts to kind of get back into a rhythm. He was in, he was actually somebody that was on the path for most improved. I'd heard some people talk about him on that front. Um, Kyle, I was going to say, I know you want to do a Zaire Williams <laughs> victory lap, so out with it. Talk no, about no, Zaire. I don't think it's a victory lap. I don't think it's a victory lap. Talk about your love of Zaire Williams, because I don't know if everyone was around last year figure Zaire Williams love. So let's just get into it for a second. I think that me, my me getting credit for for it would be or please like, take credit. I, don't I don't want no, this no, fake humility just, nonsense. Take the no, credit just, and talk about the player you like. 
the whole core of it is that it was stupid. It was like, this is a guy who was like on the radar and the weirdness of last season made people really read into what he was. I, but I want people to know, I want people to understand what I say. I'm not expecting this guy to turn into like Paul George or something. I think that Zaire is going to become a really useful, versatile defender, a guy that's going to be like catch and shoot, get to the rim. I mean, we've seen, He's hit some shots lately, and I think that's a lot of what this has been. And he's a lob threat for Ja. Who is Zaire Williams? Why did you like him? And what has he done this year? I think that I guess I'm is assuming helpful. if they listen. No, don't assume that. <laughs> give him this, give him the story. They're very quick. The elevator pitch. Tell him who he is. Zaire Williams. Okay. He's a guy who coming out of high school, he's like a six nine wing. He measured at almost six ten at the NBA Combine. Long arms, really big guy. Played a weird season at Stanford that was abbreviated with COVID, with injury. Weird team, wasn't really a good fit, but he played high school ball with like BJ Boston and Bronny James and all these guys at Sierra Canyon. So he's he's been on the radar for a while. So he comes, he slides, he actually, I mean, he went 10. That was a surprise to people. There were people that a lot of people, Memphis fans, had me come on the radio because they were just like panicking. They were like, why did we reach for this guy? Uh, to me, it's a good sign. I, I think that, and it, the cool thing about Zaire is that he doesn't have a lot of pressure on him. Like he's in a situation where he can come along slowly and his warts aren't going to like really, really show. We talk about that being important a lot. Um, his challenge is similar to Reddish, like we talked about. It's similar to Kevin Knox. Off the dribble, he's skinny. He loses his balance. He's a pretty awful finisher at times, but he's a great lob threat. So if you're with John Morant, there are enough pieces existing on Memphis right now that he can kind of, but but they've played him a lot. You know, I think people been being in and out of the lineup has, and they've really uh, invested in his development, I've noticed. Are you still a, a Zaire believer like me? Yeah, I, I think what always impressed me about Zaire, even when he was struggling at college, it always seemed like he had a good feel for the game. It always seemed like he knew when to pass and when to shoot. He didn't take a ton of shots outside the flow of the offense. And I remember actually talking to Taylor at Summer League about this. And we were talking about how with some of these rookies, sometimes it's hard for a good team to play a rookie if he doesn't know how to play within the flow of the offense. And I thought that was always Zaire's biggest calling card is that, okay, this guy knows what he needs to do and he's not going to extend himself too much. The shots he takes, even if they don't go in, those are good shots for him to take more often than not. He's just a smart... I guess I'll boil it down. He's a very smart player. He is bright. And it, that was another thing. You listen to him. You listen to him. And, and I was going back and watching like uh, some earlier kind of comps. I'm not saying he'll become this, but if you go look at guys like Otto Porter who are like... Or Mikhail Bridget who are like physically... He doesn't have as long arms as those guys, but... He physically is built like them. And at 19, th none of those guys were like great shooters from three, but they were good foul shooters. And they kind of slowly developed as they went. And it's kind of, he's, it to me, it's just a fascinating thing to think of uh, where some of those guys were when they were at 19 and where they are now. And we weren't given Zaire that same kind of leeway, which I just was, I always thought was kind of ridiculous. If he was a senior, would he, would he have been and playing really well? Would he have been a top five pick or top 10 pick? Who knows? Probably. Uh, anybody else that you want to jump on for for the Grizz before we wrap it up? Was there a player jumping out for you or anything? Any other thoughts? I would say what I'm most curious about, and this is a lineup we haven't seen really all season because guys have been in and out. So it's Jackson at the five, Brandon Clark at the four, Dylan Brooks, Desmond Bain, John Morant. And it feels like those five guys fit really well together. They're all really young. 
they can all grow together. And I think sometimes, oh, Memphis has a lot of cap space this summer, but I don't necessarily think they're going to do anything. I think at this point, that's your five. An internal improvement might be enough for those five to be a great team for a long time. And I, yeah, that, that hits on a question I asked you about, like, are they missing a piece? I'm kind of wondering if they still need that elite shot creator because, you know, Ja, even though he has gotten better as a shooter, um, can you rely on him in the half court? You know, he does get a lot of baskets in like the, he does, he reverses kind of what like Chris Paul likes to do. He likes to do like right side snake back and do like a little floater in the middle of the lane thing. Um, but can you rely on him in that sense? Is Bane going to be enough of a shot creator? Is Jaron Jackson? I'm kind of wondering about that in a playoff series when, th- when the scheming kind of gets to gridlock and you need somebody to get a bucket. Do they have a guy like that, do you think? Do you have somebody that they think is Jaw the most likely? What do you think about that? Well, I mean, he's obviously the most likely. <laughs> he's getting 25 points a game. He's an all-star. But that doesn't necessarily mean it's a different game. I don't think that it necessarily means it's a shoe-in certainty thing because you get into the playoffs, it's a different it's a different sport, as we've seen. I mean, I I have been really impressed with Jaw, but I, I, those things kind of linger as like, we'll see, maybe, possibly, because... Even great players have gotten. Can they win a playoff series? I guess is the question. Can can they win more than one playoff series? What do you think? Depending on the matchups, I guess it'll be really fun to see. I mean, I'd be very curious. I do think it is funny sometimes. I remember watching the Mavs. Now, obviously, I'm from Dallas, so I'm a little biased. But the Mavs Grizzlies game on ESPN, and all the panelists were like, "Oh yeah, I'd pick Jaw over Luca." I'm just like, "All right." It does seem like sometimes the next thing. Everyone gets very excited. The Grizzlies are the next thing. They've been a great story, but now it gets real. Now it gets real. Now, I was telling you, if I had to guess, they're either going to see LeBron James in the first round or Luka Doncic. And that's going to be heck of fun to watch, and I can't wait. Yeah, there's so many series that I would love to see. I would love to see Memphis-Golden State. I'd love to see Memphis-Phoenix. Um, any any combination of those. But those are going to be big boy. Oh, God, I said a, a, a cliche there. But those are going to be a real test to kind of level up and see. It's similar to like the way OKC back in the early 2010s had to kind of, you know, had to kind of go through people to be, beat the man to be the man type of a thing. Uh, Charks, what are you working on right now? I'm actually working on a Duke piece. Uh, I think we'll probably talk about Paolo next week. I think it's time to have the Paolo Bonchero discussion. It's time to talk about Paolo Bencaro. It indeed is. Oh, is it Bencaro? Be, I just butchered his name. Huh? Is that how you say it? I've heard so many. I said Bencaro for years, and We're then I started saying Bencaro so he don't sound too stupid next week. <laughs> <laughs> we'll we'll iron that out. Yeah, uh, we'll make sure that we're on top of that. And uh, and I have something coming up soon here about. Uh, it's going to be a surprise. I'm not going to say what it is. It's a video though. So uh, come uh, on to the ringer.com and uh, why would check you not say what it off. is? Give people an in reason to watch. What are you doing? It's a surprise. It's a that surprise. Just watch for it. You'll like it. Charks is really on me today. Uh, so I, so uh, check out all the other awesome work that we have coming up all the time on TheRinger.com and all the other great uh, podcasts that we have on Spotify and on The Ringer feed, Bill's feed, all over the place. So Charks, good to see you, man. Yeah, as always. Yeah.